Welcome to the Hope Chapel Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. We currently are meeting again for in-person services and would love to have you join us if you feel comfortable. Our in-person service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. You can also tune into our live stream on Sundays at 9 and 11 by going to hopechapel.org forward slash live. We're going to look at a familiar passage this morning and next week, by the way. So we're going to, our study in Colossians is going to be on a little hiatus for a couple weeks. Michael and Andrew are at a pastor's conference in Washington, D.C. So they're, they're having a great time on the church's dime. <laughs> they're learning a lot. I just spoke to them this, this, last night, so I'm excited for them. How many have heard this? Listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. Does that sound vaguely familiar? We do it almost every time we pray, don't we? Yes. Well, the passage we're going to look at and I want to bounce off of is the very first time we meet Samuel, who would indeed become the greatest prophet to all of Israel. He will anoint David as king over Israel. In chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, verse 1, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now, Eli was the high priest at the time. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and it was not to go out. The lamp was, was to burn perpetually 24 hours a day. So it, it kind of gives you a hint about the spiritual condition in Israel at this particular point, and especially under uh, the high priest Eli's leadership. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. That is one of the most poignant passages, I think, in the Bible. So instructive. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I think so much of the time we reverse that, we say, listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. 
So I want to talk to you this morning, I want to talk to you next week about God speaking to us. And do we hear him? Are we listening? Have you ever had a, a kind of inner, inner voice, inner sense, say something that you've either ignored or obeyed? All of us have, I think. Fair statement. Maybe it was to call somebody. Call so-and-so. Call that person. It's just kind of always there nagging you. Or maybe write a letter, write a note, be responsible for something. Maybe to do something as simple as pick up after yourself. When you became a Christian, a miracle happened. The Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is to speak and to remind us to do the right things. The things that would be God's will. That's what's right. This is the way. Walk in it. He reminds us all the time. Question, are we listening? The question many people have, I think, is this. Does God really speak to people today? Does he really speak to people? Does he speak directly, specifically, and personally? We all know about how he spoke to people in the past. In the Bible, you read all the historical accounts of God interacting with people and speaking to them in the scriptures. He spoke to Adam right in the beginning, didn't he? Spoke to Adam in the garden, warning him about the tree that was in the middle of the garden. He spoke to Noah to build a big boat because it was going to rain. There had never been rain on the earth. He spoke to Abraham about the abundance of his descendants, as many stars in the sky and grains of sand on the seashore. He spoke to Moses from a burning bush and on a mountain. He spoke to Joshua about shouting down the walls of Jericho. He spoke to Isaiah about the coming Messiah. He spoke to Jeremiah about Israel's captivity in Babylon. He spoke to Ezekiel about the future restoration of Israel. And to Daniel, he spoke about the rest of time. God spoke to John the Baptist about the Savior being at hand, the Lamb of God. God spoke to Jesus about his identity, his mission, and his apostles. And God speaks to us. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit on a regular basis about even the most ordinary things of our lives. It may shock you, but God does care about the most ordinary things of our lives. He knows how many hairs on our head are left. (laughs) I'm convinced if we could somehow mark with a yellow highlighter the messages from God that cross our minds, we'd see yellowed daily. That should come as no surprise because God told us in the scriptures that it would be that way. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said this, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. For he lives with you. He will be in you. So those immediate disciples, the Holy Spirit was with them. But after the resurrection, he would be in them. And now the Spirit of God lives in us. Jesus goes on to explain that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. That the Holy Spirit will remind us of everything that Jesus said. Specifically, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. He will speak only what he hears from Jesus. He will tell us what is yet to come. And he will take from what, is Jesus, what belongs to Jesus and make it known to us. No doubts. The Holy Spirit is marvelous. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. When you put your faith in him, you are born again. And you're born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. I talked to a woman last night uh, who, who came to church and she was brought by her sister. And so her sister introduced me and I said, so nice to meet you. I said, are you a Christian? Well, she says, I'm Catholic. I said, that's wonderful. Are you born again? No. And I told her sister, tell her what it means to be born again. Instruct her. She wasn't born again. She had no clue. She didn't know what it was about. Growing up Catholic, I knew. I had no idea. No idea. Until someone told me. So the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And for the rest of our life, for the rest of our life, there are two persons in our body. Me, you, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? Now remember, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not the force. I remember Star Wars. Star Wars movies first came out. Everybody was saying, well, the force be with you. They were trying to equate the force with the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. It's Eastern mysticism. Not Christianity. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not mute. He's involved He's life-giving. He is a divine person with whom the Bible promises fellowship. You can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And this fellowship is to be regular and it is to be experiential. It's a companionship. Someone who comes alongside, someone who comes and lives in me and communicates to me and leads me and comforts me and encourages me. Companionship. As you follow the accounts of the early church in the book of Acts, you see God repeatedly speaking to his people through his promised spirit. In Acts chapter 8, he told Philip to approach the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 10, he told Peter to accompany the three men 
that Cornelius sent. In Acts chapter 13, he told the church at Antioch, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul as missionaries to the Gentiles. Paul's second missionary journey was again directed by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 16. You see again and again and again. Later in Paul's ministry, he declares, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me. Warns him of what? The fact that he's going to be arrested and he's going to be martyred. Acts chapter 20. Reading on in our Bibles, we find the letters to the early churches and to, by extension, all of us today. Reminding us that the Holy Spirit will provide direction for daily living. All you have to do is say, Lord, show me the way to go. Show me the way to go. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that we are to be led by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, we're to pray in the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Keep in step with the Spirit. All of these well-known commands assume that the Spirit speaks to us personally in ways that we can, in fact, understand. And there are, these verbs are all in the present tense in the Greek language. The Greek is the original language of the New Testament. Present tense suggests continuous action. God speaks to us not just two or three times, in our lifetime, he speaks to us every day, multiple times throughout the day. But then the natural question would be, but how does God speak to us personally? How does he speak to us personally? Well, the most common and certain way is through the Bible. All scripture, we're told, is what God breathed. This is God's words. These are God's thoughts. And they're given to us by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men. Men won't think this up. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? By the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit moved all the writers of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, to write down the very things that God wanted communicated. So God speaks to us, first and foremost, through his word. In a very real sense, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us every time we read the Bible. You just, you just have to pay attention. I remind myself all the time when I'm reading, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Because sometimes, you know, you can read and you forget what you read. And you can fall asleep when you're reading. I know probably none of you do that, but it does happen to me on occasion. But the Bible does tell us plainly that God also speaks directly and personally in other ways. Primarily, fundamentally through his word. But God speaks to us in, in, in other ways. You find words like this when you read through the scriptures. The Lord said. The Lord said. And it's associated a lot of times with visions. Associated a lot of times with dreams. Maybe an audible voice. Angels. Prophetic messages. Physical signs. We also find the language of God's personal conversation described in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is a passage where 
God speaks to Elijah. And again, familiar to most of you. In the NIV translation, it's translated this way, a gentle whisper. In the New American Standard, a sound of a gentle blowing. In the King James, a still, small voice. Now remember, that was opposed to what? The earthquake, the thunder, all the, the loud noises you would necessarily think maybe God is speaking through to be heard. Yes, make a loud noise. No, just a gentle whisper to Elijah. It may come to us as a simple thought. A simple thought. You sense something. You sense something. Could that be God? Could that be God talking to me? Well, hang on. As Paul says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. Now notice this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. It's spirit-to-spirit communication. It's spirit-to-spirit communication. We've all heard it. Maybe out of the corner of your eye, you'll notice someone standing alone in the group and sense an inner prompting. Go over and say hi. Maybe we'll be about to make a subtly self-promoting comment and then we hear in our heart of hearts, don't say that. Maybe our troubled spirits would be reassured by the silent reminder, reminder from God that that sin is dealt with already. It's forgiven. How many times do we beat ourselves up over and over and over with what we've done in the past? And the Lord just says, no, no, no. I've already, done that. I've already dealt with that. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Trust me. Trust me, he says. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Now, it's true that our inner impressions are not always God speaking. You know that, right? Our thoughts can come from one of three sources. They can come from God. They can come from the evil one, or they can come from moi, ourselves. How many know that? How many have said, is that God or is that me? Is that God or is that me? So how do we tell the difference? The primary way to discern God's voice is to saturate our lives, saturate our minds, saturate our hearts with what? The word of God, the scriptures. Read your Bible. Meditate on your Bible. Memorize your scriptures. Bible study strengthens our ability to recognize God's voice. You'll know. He'll never say anything to you that contradicts his word. The more you know his word, the more easily and quickly you'll recognize him speaking. What God says to us individually will always match what he says in his word. Isaiah reminded his contemporaries, because there were lots of false prophets around 
in Isaiah's day, telling the Israelites, telling the, telling the, the Jews, oh no, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to happen. And Isaiah said, it's coming, judgment is coming. Isaiah said this, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, in other words, these false prophets, they have no light of dawn. In other words, they're just speaking darkness. Yet some thoughts, some impressions, are neither directly affirmed or disqualified by specific scripture. In that case, how do you discern if it's from God or not? Well, we need to look at the character of what we're hearing. In other words, is it God-like? Is it devil-like? Or is it me-like? Now, God tells us plainly what he is like. Exodus chapter 34. Remember when he passed by Moses, declared who he was? The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, merciful, forgiving, and so forth and so forth. So he, he declares his nature. He declares what he's like to Moses and to all of us who have read that passage. If you ever have a doubt about who God is, go back to Exodus chapter 34 and read it. Psalm 51 tells us he desires a broken and contrite heart. 1 Corinthians 13. How many know the love passage? Love is... Love is... Say it with me. Love is. Oh, I like that last one. It's not easily angered. Ooh. And here it comes. Love never fails. And of course, in 1 John, John says, God is love. So that, that's a testimony statement of who God is and what he's like. Isn't it nice he keeps no record of wrongs? Not easily angered? He never fails? In Galatians chapter 5, you have a recitation of what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And again, those qualities always describe who God is and it's the fruit of the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that he is sympathetic and compassionate. He knows what we go through. He's sympathetic for our condition and our situation, and he's compassionate towards us. And again, of course, in 1 John chapter 4, he is love. His names... His names tell us even more about him and the character of his voice. He is healer. He's provider. Redeemer. Savior. He's our father. He's our shepherd. Our rock. Our fortress. And our shield. Wow. So you, you, you know what he's like, his character. And, and so whenever you hear something, it's got to be God-like if it's coming from him. Am I making sense? Are you with me? Now, in the same way, God tells us plainly the character of our enemy. He's Satan, the adversary. 
He's the devil, the slanderer. He is the ancient serpent who leads the whole world astray, the accuser of our brothers, and he accuses them before God day and night in Revelation chapter 12. He was a murderer, Jesus says, from the beginning. He's a liar, the father of lies. He comes only to steal and destroy. Peter warns us to be on the alert because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour, destroy. We're told to arm ourselves against the devil's schemes, Ephesians chapter 6, his ingenious, cleverly disguised plans to ruin and destroy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Unless you understand these things and you understand the character of our enemy, you could easily be duped, and many, many people are, tragically. Then, of course, there's the third source of these thoughts. Moi. Me. You. I'm me. You're you. Whoa. That's a lot, isn't it? Now, we're healthy at some points, aren't we? Yeah. Perhaps we show flashes of generosity, compassion, boldness, optimism, and maybe not so healthy at other times. Tending towards irrational anger, jealousy, envy, fear, self-indulgence, suspicion, distrust, even hopelessness. Now, remembering these differences, what's God like? What's the devil like? What am I like? Remembering these differences can make it easier to discern the source of what we may, in fact, be hearing. I once counseled a a couple. The wife had had one night a horrible, horrible, terrible dream in which she saw the mangled body of one of her children. She frantically tried to help, but nothing worked. She was helpless, desperate, terrified. When she awoke, she agonized all day about her dream, as you might imagine. Finally, she and her husband called me and asked, is God telling us to prepare for the death of our child? I listened to the dream. I listened to what they had to say. Thought about it, prayed about it. After after all, the Bible does give examples of God telling people that they're going to die, doesn't he? Then I thought about the nature of the dream. Gruesome, carnage and helpless despair. The impact of the dream, fear and grief. I told them I was confident that this was not God speaking. This was not a God-generated dream. It's not like him to frighten us for no reason. This sounded more like a message from her own heart, which wrestled regularly with fears of losing a child. Or maybe a message from Satan, who's well known for lies and for terror. I said, this is not God. 
Years have passed. Families moved, but years have passed. I keep up with them, and none of their children have died in a gruesome manner. Praise God. A similar message, on the other hand, had a very different feel. A teenager, young teenage girl with three of her friends, one of them, had a dream the night before they were in a serious wreck that she had been the only one with her seatbelt on, the only survivor. So she told her friends about this dream. And of course, they all wisely fastened their seatbelts. The very next day, the car crashed, demolished. All the girls survived. The investigating officer looked at the car and the shaken but unhurt girls and said, if you hadn't had your seatbelts on, the outcome would have been a lot different. Hmm. Where did this girl's dream come from, do you think? Consider the message. A warning of danger that turned out to be very real. Consider the tone of the message and urging to do something that was right and reasonable, something that teenagers driving might think to neglect. Consider the effect, saved lives. Who speaks this way? Who speaks this way? A father, a loving, caring father. However, we've all had times when the clues may have been harder to discern. The enemy, for example, will use, in fact, God's words, but with a subtle twist as he did with Jesus in the wilderness. Example, we all know Psalm 23, verse 1, don't we? What is it? What does Psalm, Psalm 23, 1 say? The Lord is my shepherd, and I, what? I shall lack... Nothing. Now, the enemy could use that and subtly twist that verse to say, see, God wants you to have what you want. He doesn't want you to lack anything. You can have all you want. And he'll especially say it if what you may want is self-destructive. He might use the reality of the unforgivable sin. How many know there is an unforgivable sin? I can't tell you. The number of people over the years have come to me and say, Pastor, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. I said, what is it? And then it's some ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill sin. I said, that is not the unforgivable sin. But he might use the reality of an unforgivable sin to convince you that you have, in fact, committed it. What does that lead to? Despair. This, again, is why we must know our Bibles. This is why we must read them and study them. When my application of Scripture seems to be leading me away from rightness, when my application of Scripture seems to be leading me away from responsibility and away from hope, I need to recheck my interpretation and my application. 
even more difficult than distinguishing the Holy Spirit from the enemy is telling the difference between the Holy Spirit and our own hearts. Let me give you three suggestions. Number one, take your time. Take your time. What did I just say? Take your time. Are we in the habit of taking our time? Eh. No. I find that God is faithful over a period of days to distinguish his message from my thoughts. God, is this God? Is this me? Is this God? Is this me? Take your time. With time, he will cause false guilt. He'll cause false promptings and allurings to fade. He will cause his messages to persist and become more compelling. Take your time. Take your time. God does not want it to be a mystery to us what his will is. Just take your time. Some things will become clearer and clearer and clearer. Other things are just going to fade away. They'll become more extinct. Don't confront your friends. Don't correct your leaders. Don't quit your job. Don't launch a ministry. Don't propose marriage or act on any uncertain promptings on the spot. Take your time. When it comes to hearing God's inner voice, Paul tells the Thessalonians, test everything. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Here's the second principle. What's the first one? Here it comes. Ready? Beware your wounds. Anybody here been wounded by other people? Oh, just a few of you. Okay. Beware your wounds. We've all been hurt. We've all been wounded by others. And in response, we often become fearful, angry, suspicious. That's what happens to us. So be honest about where you have been bruised and have maybe become unhealthy in your responses, reactions. How many know there's a difference between responding and reacting? Responding is a thoughtful, patient process. Reacting is an instantaneous, impulsive kind of thing. So be honest about where you've been bruised and have become unhealthy in your responses. Anticipate that some messages, some things you'll be hearing will come from your own woundedness. And I know all of us can relate to that. And thirdly, know your passions. Know your passions. There is an old saying, give a man a hammer and the whole world looks like a nail. <laughs> In other words, what you're passionate about, you're going to hammer people with it. This is the solution. If you are someone who is, <clears throat> this, and this hammer effect, by the way, can distort our ability to hear God, especially when we're ministering to other people. 
if you believe very, very strongly that wives should always submit to their husbands and everything, then it's easy to hear submission as the solution to whatever anyone tells you about domestic disharmony. Well, of course the wife is not submissive. If you're an intercessor, if, you, if you're a prayer, you pray. Then the phrase, pray more. Pray more tends to pop readily to mind when I'm listening for God's solution to personal struggles. We just need to pray more. I feel terrible at the days I've said that. Just pray more. <laughs> if you find yourself repeatedly hearing what's strong and vibrant in your life, slow down and suspect overflow maybe from your own heart rather than you're hearing from God. Just slow down. God speaks. God speaks. Here's the, the crown jewel of the new covenant. You ready for this? This is the crown jewel of the new covenant. We've already looked at it. John 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father that he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. A counselor, someone who comes alongside, someone who leads you, someone who gives you wisdom and spiritual understanding and knowledge of the Father's will. He'll be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. That is the crown jewel of the new covenant. If you belong to God, if you are born again, this counselor is in you. He lives in you. And he is speaking. He is always speaking. The question is, are we learning to listen? Are we learning to recognize his voice and the enormous benefits of being led by him? I want you, Spirit, to lead me in how I should go. Let's do a little experiment. Shall we do a little experiment? Okay, let's do this. Right now, right where you're sitting, ask the Lord to screen out all the other voices but his and mine. That's a joke. <laughs> Lord, screen out all the other voices right now. Invite him to say to you in your mind, in your heart, Whatever he wants to say. Just say, Lord, speak to me right now. Whatever you want me to know. Now be quiet. Just stay quiet right now and listen. Pay attention what comes to your mind. Where does he take you? What do you sense him saying? As things begin to come to mind, don't try to determine it. It just right now at this moment, if it's you or if it's God speaking. You have a piece of paper there, you have a pencil. Write down whatever that thought is. You write it down right now. It might be a verse of scripture. 
It might be simply a word. It might be a phrase. It might be a visual picture. It might be an emotion you're experiencing or some physical sensation. Just write it down. You're not trying to qualify it. You just want to write it down. And ask the Lord, what does this mean? What does this mean? After now your listening time, test what you think you've heard against the words in the character of God that we just spoke about. Whatever you've heard, test it against the word of God and the character of God. What did you hear? What did you hear? And how will you respond? Simple experiment. You can do it every day. Amen? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you again that you do talk to us. You talk to us through your word. You speak to us through just myriads of ways. You are immensely creative in how you communicate to us. You know us more intimately than we know ourselves. And we do want to hear from you. We do want to know more and more clearly what you're saying, what your will is. We just thank you for that confidence you speak to us. Thank you for your spirit who lives in us, that tremendous gift. Lord, as we come to your table, again, we ask you to speak to us about those things that maybe we've been ignoring, we've not tended to, or been disobedient over. Speak to us. that We might confess those things, repent of them, and come to your table with clean hands. Thank you, Father. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.